My name is Chris Lynham, and I am your host of Off the Floor, the show that is all about the learning process, the critical pivots along the way, and the positive ripple effects from those decisions. Okay, here's the situation. After a bunch of dead ends, you finally land a steady job, and then you get pretty good at it. And you get to this point where things are steady and they're safe, and now you have this choice that you have to make. Are you going to keep pushing for more, or do you just play it safe, try not to screw it up, and hedge your bets? Well, my guest today decided he didn't just want to play it safe. He decided that he was going to bet on himself. The same way sometimes an athlete will take a smaller contract to prove it to the team and earn a bigger one, Dave Chesson decided that he was going to bet on his side hustle to eventually become a worthwhile career. Now, we may not all be determined to start writing books on the side like Dave, but I think we can all agree that at some point we've been stuck behind the safety of something steady. So... Enjoy this interview with Dave Chesson, the Kindlepreneur, right here on Off the Floor. Why don't you tell me a little bit about just your backstory and, uh, and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much. So um, it's kind of funny to be a guy that's all about books because every time I look at my life story, the first thing that comes to mind is when I was in high school in English class and my teacher was handing back our midterm papers and she looks at me, she says, Dave, you're going to go study physics, right? I said, yes, ma'am. She says, good call. She hands me back my page for it. It was like a D minus. I was like, oh, okay, got it. You know, um, and yet years later, here I am kind of writing. And so I first want to say that, you know, you may say to yourself that you don't have that capability to do something like that. But the truth is we really do. And so don't let some of your past be something that guides your decisions now, because we can always change and we can take action and we can start growing today. So years later, I, you know, I joined the military and I was actually a nuclear engineer which, yeah, I went as far from English as possible. Uh, but then I started to really look towards other things and I became a military diplomat. Cool. They call us foreign area officers or FAOs. Now, the funny part is they actually trained me to speak Chinese and then they sent me to Korea. So I was like, all right, great. <laughs> but the problem was, is that the orders I got sent me all the way to the other side of the world without my family, without my wife and kids. Oh, man. And yeah, it was a geo tour. It was two years without my kids. So I was like, oh, and my wife and I have one of these moments where we're looking at what our life looks like now. And we ask ourselves, what is the definition of success? Hmm. And the fact of the matter was, I didn't have one. I didn't want to be an admiral in the Navy. Apparently, I was just on this path of doing a good enough job, getting a steady paycheck. But that was it. Like, there was no true fulfillment. There was no true goal. And yet, the current path I was on was causing me to be away from my family. Mm. Granted, making the next rank is cool. But in truth, I was failing. I was failing in life. I was failing with my family. I was failing on so many things. And on the surface, it looked like I was doing great. So with all of that... My wife and I, of course, over some virtual bottles of wine, you know, her in Wisconsin, me in (laughs) Busan, South Korea, Skyping at like four in the morning, my time. (laughs) And yes, that's right. I'll drink wine at 4 a.m. I would tell myself that 4 a.m. means I still haven't gone to bed. So it's a late night wine night, whatever, (laughs) here nor there. So here we are and we're talking about it. And we realized that I needed to find a way to get out of the military, be able to take care of my family 
but I didn't want to go from one nine to five job to another. And more importantly, I didn't want to go to one that just kept sending me out with a background in Chinese, you know, <laughs> an engineering background, like all of the so-called options at the door where it's like, oh yeah, you could work for us right now was like oil or oil exploration, you know, for the energy background. And that would be sending me all over the world. I was like, oh, great. Or using my Chinese background, which of course they're going to send me to China, you know, or do imports. I was like, I'm just trading one for the other. Right. So we decided to really look at something that was to be an entrepreneur because for that we could control our schedule. The problem about being an entrepreneur or trying to be an entrepreneur on the other side of the world is that you can't set up a lot of types of businesses. You cannot be someone who has a brick and mortar because I'm in Korea. Uh, you can't set up something that requires you to be present during normal operating hours, which by the way is when I'm sleeping. And finally, I needed to be able to build something on the side while still doing a good job for the military. So with all of those limitations, we really looked at what was out there. And I probably spent the first six months digging into all these books and typing in words like how to make money, you know, and, and cool <laughs> job. Like, thanks, Google. This is not helping. Um, and finally, my wife went to a conference and she found someone who had a free book that says how to make money online. Now, wow. granted, sounds like the spammiest ridiculousness ever. But he was a really great guy. I was a part of this great conference. She's like, just, just read it. And what I'm about to tell you is I think the key and almost the secret to success on making money outside of what you do. And that was, I took the book. I said, all right, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do everything he says, even the parts where I think this is stupid. And I did every step in the book. And here's the kicker. I made $1. <laughs> <laughs> One dollar, and it was about a month of work. Now, this is the part that's super secret, okay? That we're not going to have secret anymore. Yeah. <laughs> that dollar was huge success because for me, I just created a dollar out of thin air. Mm. Granted, I just traded a whole bunch of my extra time that I could have been like totally watching Netflix or, you know, going to a Noribang with the uh, Korean military. <laughs> but that dollar was so significant. I don't know if you ever remember the DuckTales. Yeah, you know, totally, right? of course. Cruz McDuck had his lucky dime and it was the first dime he ever made. So for me, that dollar, that digital dollar was my lucky dime. And I wish oh. I could have somehow taken it and posted it on the wall, you know, in a picture frame or something because that's where most people would have failed. They would have seen the dollar and they would have said, this is stupid. I did all that work. And that's all I got for it. And they would have quit or they would have called it a sham. What I saw was that I had more to learn. This is real. I just converted nothing into something. And the next project, I then attacked the project. I did it better. I was much smarter about my time. I started inserting other things. And you know what? It failed. <laughs> it did. Like to everybody else, it failed. But this time, I made $10. Nice. I just 10 times my profit. Now, again, most people would have stopped and said, no, 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 that's failure. But for me, I 10 times my ROI. Thank you very much. <laughs> so I said, all right, I'm going to do this. And it was the third project where, no kidding, the outside world would have said, ah, that's a success. So I wanted to share that aspect because a lot of times when you see people who are succeeding online, they're usually selling you something to, to say they're succeeding. Yeah. But what you don't hear is about all of the failing forward moments mm -hmm. that took them from could this happen to, oh my God, it happened. Yeah. And we always miss that part. 
So that was a big deal. Now, one of the biggest parts of my stepladder, and by the way, the first thing I did was not a book. It was just making a website that had an advertisement on it. Oh, got it. Um, the second one was a website that had affiliate links on it. But finally, I moved into writing about a certain subject and publishing a book on that. And the publishing of the book was a big deal for me. All of a sudden, I was not only making sales on my website for my book, but my book was a part of Amazon. Mm -hmm. It was on Amazon where people go, millions of people go a day because they want to buy something. They're there to purchase something. And so my book was being seen and the book sales just kind of kept rolling in. And so at that point, I was like, man, I think I found something and I really dug deep into it. So to recap on this, you're talking about a guy who got a D minus and his, his high school English teacher is totally ripping on him and then becoming a best-selling writer. And now I'm here in Franklin, Tennessee with one kid upstairs, two kids at school, but <laughs> I just got finished putting Legos together. And today is, what is it? It's a Friday. Friday. In the middle of the day. Yeah. And that to you. me is what it's all about. That's awesome. Well, and I think if you had to kind of trace back, you know, through your history to be able to recover from that kind of feedback from your English teacher and then say, you know, I'm, I'm going to stick with this process or I love what you said about the failing forward moments. You know, was there something, was it like football coach? Or was it your, your, your parents? Where do you feel like you kind of got that instinct of like, I'm going to take it on the chin and I'm going to keep going and like sticking with this process? Well, I've always been kind of the person where when I tell other people that I'm going to do something, like I almost use that as my accountability. Like I don't mm -hmm. ever want to be seen as the guy that says he whimsically did something and then he didn't do it anymore. I once told my wife that I was going to do a Ironman triathlon. Cool. Um, of course, she thought, hey, you're out of your mind. Like, <laughs> are you serious? But then I did it. And now it was like the other day and I'm, I'm totally out of shape now. But the other day I just told her, I was like, I'm going to go do a, a marathon here in a couple of months. She goes, Okay. Because she knows that if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. I may be crawling across the finish line. But the point though is, is that I personally want people to know that when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to be that guy that does it or at least continues to do it until I find the way. So there was a big motivational part about that. But more importantly for me, I knew what the goal was. It was about being home with my kids. It was about being with my wife. Mm -hmm. And I was willing to fail forward to get to that point where I think a lot of people get into this situation where it's quick to quit. Mm -hmm. They create some outlandish dream with no real goal. When I'm sitting down and I'm talking to somebody who's working on their project, their business, their whatever it is, ask them, okay, what is your five-year goal? What is your 10-year goal? Or my favorite is what's your deathbed goal? You know, as in like while you're on your deathbed, you know, you look back at your life, you say that was a great life. What kind of life is that? And I hear a lot of people that hum and haw about it. It's like, well, then why are you working to get more money if you don't have something that you're truly working for? And when I hear the, the goal of, oh, I just want to make more money. Okay, first off, there's no finish line there. So mm -hmm. how do you ever know you're going to be happy? Mm -hmm. How do you ever know that you're going to cross something and be like, I've done it. Yes, maybe it's time to set a new goal, but whatever, I can at least measure where the finish line is and how much I need to do to get there. Yeah. If you set some goal that has no ending, that's like you don't see the light at any tunnel. Yeah. You're in darkness and that sucks. And darkness is where people will just quickly turn, you know, do an about face and walk out. You know, oh, this is too hard. I don't even see the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm not doing this. 
Sure. Well, and I think too, you know, there's also that group of people that they're super goal oriented. Like I was like anti Instagram for a while because I was like just too many people offering too many motivational quotes that I'm sure they're not living up to. But there's those people that do have the goal, but then they want to change and adjust the timeline. Like they don't like the idea that you have to fail a few times. Like you said, they would see the dollar and then they would turn away from that and they would be upset that they set the goal to begin with. So what do you think about those people that kind of get frustrated with the process and they see it as the short game or nothing? Yeah, I, I think that that kind of needs the person to look back at what their true goal is. If you're just trying to get a buck or two, <laughs> okay, I'm sure there's, there's a lot of ways you could get a buck or two. But if you're trying to truly change something, you know, change your situation, change your, your life, change what you find to be successful, that's something that's worth fighting for. My favorite word, which I don't think everybody fully understands, is the word passion. We have the idea that passion means, you know, something you like, something you enjoy doing. But if you actually look at the word passion and when it was created and why it was created, it was just after the crucifixion of Christ. And they tried to create a word that would represent that situation. And the word passion came from it, which is why that one movie is called Passion of Christ, right? Right, right? Because it's that word almost came from that situation. Not saying if you're religious or not, I'm not trying to push that. I'm just going through the history of this word. But what the word truly was intended to mean was you want something so much, you're willing to suffer for it. That is passion. So when people say this thing of only work on things you're passionate about, mm. that doesn't mean work for something you find enjoyable. It means work for something you're willing to suffer for. I was willing to suffer in order to be home with my family. I was willing to suffer so that I wouldn't end up being 45, 50 years old looking back at a career that I hated or didn't like and say, my God, what I do with myself. And oh, by the way, my kids are all grown up and they don't want hugs from daddy anymore because I missed them. I missed all of those moments. That was worth suffering for. And therefore, that was what kept me going, even though I kept failing and failing and failing. For me, it was failing forward. That's it. That's the end of the interview. You just dropped the hammer right there. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, your business is like a party and your marketing is your invitation and HubSpot.com is how you get all the cool kids to show up. Today, it doesn't matter how great your product or service is without consistent content as part of your advertising, people are gonna find another party to go to. So do what we did. Swap out your set it and forget it website for a platform built for today's web. Listeners of this show will get a free digital marketing ebook just by following the link HubSpot.com slash off the floor. That's hubspot.com slash off the floor. So hey, tell me about the timeline now. So how long were you away from your kids? And then tell me about like when you finally got a chance to come back home. Well, I had the two-year stint in Korea. And about the end of my Korea tour, I was kind of making about, I think it was like $5,000 a month from all of this online stuff that I've been building. So my wife was super happy. We were totally paying off the American dream. And what I mean by that was we were those people that totally lived the American dream, even though we couldn't afford it. So we had a lot of debt, but we basically <laughs> paid it all off, which was awesome. But we weren't yet ready to be able to step out of the military because I kind of needed to have enough money, enough secure amount of money to be able to legitimately support my family. You know, I've got three kids, one of which is now going to college. So I had that, you know, 
And I didn't feel like I was at a stable enough point to do that. Now, I think this is a really important lesson for a lot of people, especially if you have people depending on you, like kids or spouse or, you know, even parents depending on you, is that I hear a lot of people say that you should just jump out of an airplane and figure out how to build a parachute on the way down. There are a lot of people who are just quitting their jobs. I'm going to quit my job and be totally focused on this one thing. I'm like, mm, yeah, maybe when I was like 21 and I didn't have, you know, <laughs> one of responsibilities, sure. I mean, that'd be a good way to do it. But uh, yeah, not, not this guy. So we had actually set a financial goal of I needed to make $10,000 a month. Mm. That would be a good set point. I mean, that would be living really nicely. I'd be making more than the military. And I think there's enough cushion in there that I could take a drop in sales or something like that and recover. I also figured that if I was making a significant you know, $10,000 a month, I probably built up enough of a skill that I could turn things around if something bad happened. I wasn't depending on a product doing great, but that I had built a skill that I could use anytime I needed. So with that goal in mind, uh, we were not there. So I took another set of orders from the military. And this time, they sent me to Sri Lanka. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they sent me to Sri Lanka, but this time I could bring my family, which is awesome because I was working with the U.S. Embassy there. And so they had embassy housing, which let me tell you, the State Department's got it set. And I had by far probably one of the coolest jobs ever. So it was like, oh man, stop Navy, stop sweetening the pot here. Um, <laughs> I was what they call a, the general term is international arms dealer for the U.S. government. Whoa but it was called the ODC chief, Office of Defense Cooperation. Every embassy has one. And the job is to basically be the guy that meets with their military, figure out what they need, meet with ambassador, figure out what State Department means, meet with the admirals, you know, and figure out what the Defense Department wants, you know, and then kind of be the middle guy between the three. And, and, and tell me that you got the chance to carry one of those like metallic briefcases in the back of like a big limousine or something like that at an airport. Uh, I can neither <laughs> confirm nor deny such action, but um, I definitely got one where me and some general are walking through the fields of Sri Lanka um, cool. and we're surrounded by everybody in bomb squad because we're walking through a minefield together. So Whoa. I, was like, I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> and I, my favorite part of that story, not to get sidetracked, is uh, there are all these little flags and they were like, you know, like five feet away and here and there. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, what are these flags? You know, and I was like, oh, that's where we marked a mine. And I'm like, like if I fell right now, I'd land in it. He's like, yeah, don't fall. And I'm like, come on guys. All right. So bringing up this is that it was just a really awesome tour. However, though, my littlest daughter, Athena, she's now six, was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Mm. And the military basically said she can't be outside the United States because we don't have the medical capability to take care of her. So they jacked my family and sent them back to America. I had to finish the job, so I had another year. So in the end, three out of the last four years in the military, I was uh, alone. And wow. so I was like, it's a good thing we started this plan when we did. Mm. Because now I would never be able to travel with my family outside the United States. So if I had decided this would be a career, I would have had years without them. So I'm like, I'm so thankful that we had that moment and we talked about what success was years ago so that I could build up to this. So when that happened, I was like, well, it's a no brainer. I don't care if I don't hit my $10,000 mark, I'm getting out. And, you know, that way I can be with my family. Of course, now I got to incur a whole bunch of medical bills, but that'll happen, you know. <laughs> so I doubled my efforts. I really worked hard at that point. And the coolest thing was that when my tour was up in Sri Lanka, I was making about twelve dollars to $14,000 a month. So I'd made my $10,000 mark. I wow. dropped my letter. I said, I'm out. And the military is like, ah, you know, bummer. Are you sure you don't want this, this? I'm like, nope. And uh, I came home. It was the scariest thing in the world, though. It sounds dumb, but I want people to know this. 
I was scared so much about leaving a stable job. Like I had this dream of getting out and being able to be my own boss and to be an entrepreneur. But then it was like, you know, it was like fear was like creeping up inside and whispering in my ear. It could all dry up. Yeah. It could all go away. Your family's going to starve. And I was just like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? This is so stupid. But luckily my wife was like, I'd rather be married to a guy that is an entrepreneur and fails and we're eating out of macaroni boxes than a guy who's sitting in a job that he doesn't like, you know, just making a paycheck. I was like, all right, sounds like a plan. So she set me straight. I got back on it and it was a great decision. So I'm here in Franklin living the dream, making a lot more money than I did when in the military. Well, I mean, it's funny because there are so many people, myself included, who are nervous to just cancel their their regular cable bill and go wireless, you know, and just to just to stream all their TV shows and stuff. And and so I can't even imagine, you know, that feeling for people to really understand, you know, when you cut away from like the steadiness and the that guaranteed income that you have when you're an employee versus when you kind of are the chief breadwinner and it's all based on like what you have up in your head, you know, like that's, that's a huge shift. And so, yeah, you cannot discount like the fear factor there for sure. Yeah. Well, back in the military, whether or not I did a good job, a great job or a poor job, I still got the same amount of money. Right. And I'd have to do a really bad job to get kicked out, you know, or something like that, but just show up on time, do enough work, and I make as much money as if I showed up early and worked my butt off. Yeah. Not knocking ethics out there or, or work ethics. However, though, one of the things that's been crazy being an entrepreneur is that <laughs> I watch a lot less movies now because it's like, you know, if I just go downstairs and I finish up that chapter, I'll be able to sell that book sooner. And when I do that sooner, that means we make more money now. So it's like all of a sudden all my time is equating to money. Yeah. And that was a little bit of a trap because I really wanted to work. And I was like, whoa, 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 hold on here. You got out of the military so you could be with your family, but now you just want to go to your office so you can work to make more money so that you could be with your family? Like, come on. So another thing that I would say to entrepreneurs, especially as you have built the skill or you've built this machine that has momentum, is that you also have to stay true to what your priorities are. Think about that 70-year-old deathbed question, right? What is life supposed to look like? Is it supposed to be that you're sitting in your office missing out on things or not? So, you know, before we jumped on here, I took my son out to lunch. I really had a lot of stuff that I needed to do, but he's going to go to schools now, you know, or soon next year. And I'm not going to have my little buddy. So let me get this memory and let me remember what my true priorities are and not lose sight of that. Yeah, that's great. I tell my staff all the time, like, listen, if you really want to understand like how to do this better, start having kids right now. So that way you can really pack on like the pressure yeah. to get this done. Do you feel like you'd be where you are right now, considering where your goals are? I know have a lot are really, really tied to your family. But do you feel like you'd kind of have this direction that you're in right now if you never had kids? Well, I think a, the biggest part to me doing this was really my wife. You know, whether it was kids or not, she's grown up kind of with an entrepreneur background. Her family was all entrepreneurs. And in truth, my family was all military. I was just kind of following in the footsteps. Uh, my dad, granddad, great granddad, they were all in the military. We got this really cool picture of all of us at the same age in our choker whites, you know, and Whoa. it's in a row. I mean, it's so cool. And also my mom's side of the family as well. So I'm like sandwiched wow. between all these guys all the way back down to like 1930. Wow. Uh, and, so I was just doing the military thing and I'm supposed to do this, you know, uh, retirement, you know, at 45 or whatever it was or whatever it is, 42, you know, where you get your 20 years in and then you get half your pay for the rest of your life and then you, you do your thing. 
I never really thought outside the box. Like I probably wouldn't have thought about being an entrepreneur if it wasn't for my wife, you know, sitting me down saying, what is the definition of success here? What are we doing? Wow. Um, so granted, I found true motivation and sorrow in what I was doing because of the kids. But I've got to give a lot of testament to my wife for being such an incredible influence on me to take that step. And I'll say to a lot of people too, is, is that you don't need to have as supportive of a spouse as like I had where they're like pushing you to do it. But I would absolutely recommend that you make sure that your spouse is 100% on board with what you're trying to do. I've seen nothing but a lot of increased chances of failure for those who are trying to do it when their spouse doesn't understand, doesn't care, or doesn't approve. Yeah. Um, because if you're living at home with someone and you're spending more time on the computer because you're trying to build something, or you're spending more time on the street because you're trying to push something, that puts strain on your relationship, even more so if that person doesn't agree with it. For sure. Well, and I, would, I think you'd probably agree too that kids... I think the kids are probably the best way for you to understand the value of time. You know, I think that there's nothing better than realizing that like, listen, I cannot believe I used to play video games for five hours. And, and that's yeah. like just another world to me now. You know, I've got, I've got four kids. We got one more on the way and it is, it's like, you know, now you have to kind of plan things out in a way that you never thought you would. Um, yeah. And so, like, I love what you said, that you've segmented it out, like, where you're making sure you do something with your kids, you're playing Legos, you're going to lunch, you're doing all this stuff, and then you're still finding that time. But what I love that you said, too, is that you still have that unwavering support from your spouse. I think that's, that's such an important thing that I don't want people to miss. Yeah, it's crucial. It's crucial that you have that support. Otherwise, you're just endangering your relationship. You're, you know, when times get tough, it's going to get even worse. And I, I needed somebody to fall on, you know, to... to to complain to, to, uh, uh, yeah, to have, cause I mean, you're going to have challenges. You're going to run into things where a major setback. And if you don't have that, you know, you could put yourself in a dark place. So having sure. somebody to lean on is very important. Well, I want to talk really quickly about just your strategy. I, I, when I'm reading your bio about how you use different pen names for some of the different books that you've written, for some reason, it just made me think of the voice, like those blind auditions. And if you're really good and nobody is watching and they're just focusing on how the person sings, then the judge turns around. And I think for you to be able to sell what you're selling without the name all the way across the board shows like just how effective what you're doing really is. So talk about that strategy. Well, you know, first when I was uh, writing books, I wasn't trying to do pen names for any other purpose other than, well, I work for the U.S. military or I'm in the U.S. embassy. I kind of don't want to mix my professional life with my other professional life, right? I'm going to keep those kind of stratified. So I did pen names just to protect myself in that respect. Otherwise, just about every book would have to be, these are the opinions of Dave Chesson who do not reflect the United States in any way, shape, or form. Like there was <laughs> no kidding, a little blur about how to put and that would just be weird. So that was the initial thing. But what was very interesting was, was that when I created Kindlepreneur.com, which, you know, is geared towards teaching authors how to do what I do, I realized that I had a really unique situation here. There are a couple of websites out there that teach about book marketing or teach about self-publishing, but every one of them has got this very popular name and they've got an email list, you know, of, of 50, 60, 70, or 100,000 people. When they write a book, they just send out an email and they're making some huge sales. Mm -hmm. Their dependency is more so on the long effort of hard work that they created over years and then they're benefiting from it. 
For me, every time I write a new book, I'm starting in the trenches with everybody else. I'm not using Kindlepreneur. Currently, we have about 65,000 people on our email list and we get 200,000 visitors per month to the website itself. Great. I could just create a book, use all of that and be able to put a big old stamp and have really cool metrics and be like, voila. But it was really awesome to be like, all right, well, I'm not using that. And I'm going to show you that I have to not only keep my book marketing skills very sharp and always look for what's going on because I'm kind of depending on those things. Yeah. And it's just been a really fun journey. So it's really been cool to not use all of this in order to influence my sales and have to start from scratch every time. Yeah. When you hit the reset button like that, I mean, it just reminds me of like, you know, I don't watch NASCAR or anything, but I mean, if you were starting in like one of those back positions, like way towards the, you know, towards the back, every single beginning of every single race, you have no, you know, handicap going into it. I think that just speaks volumes about how much confidence you have in yourself, but it's also such a great example because, you know, there's so many times where experts start to get to a point where they are so elevated that they can't really connect with the people that they're trying to connect to. And exactly. so I love that you're just jumping back in the trenches each time. Yeah, it's, it's fun. <laughs> and I do like the challenge every time. But yeah, that's a really great way of putting it. Yeah. Okay, well, I want to ask you some rapid fire questions now. And then we'll talk about like the final thought. So first thing that comes to your mind, what is one thing that you collected, did as a kid that was kind of weird or geeky, like you're a closet geek about? What was something that you did? I would fish golf balls out of the lake and then sell them back to the golfers. <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Um, all right. And then uh, next one is give me a time in your life where you wished you were a better dancer. Oh, every time music plays. <laughs> every time my 18 my year old daughter laughs at me. <laughs> Let's see. What's one thing that you used to do before you had kids that you could never imagine yourself doing now? partying (laughs) drinking a lot (laughs) yep never again okay that's awesome all right so now if you kind of think about your story and if you had to summarize it and whether you're talking to somebody who's they're ready to write that first book or if it's somebody that really wants to kind of take on like the challenges of of a hobby or some type of process that they're starting like what's something from your life and your story that you feel like you know you could transpose over to our audience i think whatever it is you approach look at it like a skill, okay? Uh, You don't just pick up a violin and be able to play a perfect concerto. So don't expect that. Don't get down on yourself when you're not playing a perfect concerto. Because what we do, whether it's SEO, whether it's social media, whether it's writing books or whatever, it's a skill and it takes time. I think there's some metric somebody created out there that was like, it takes 10,000 hours to master something, right? Well, use that understand but more importantly understand the more time you put into it the better it gets the better it gets the more potential it has and i think if you look at what you're doing as you're working on a skill you'll have a better chance of success than if you're looking at it and saying i'm not making money right now that's fantastic dave it's been really great chatting with you really great to hear your story and and i just love the goal setting aspect and the process and everything i think you're such a great example that everyone can benefit from Ah, thanks. Where can people uh, check out your stuff and keep tabs on everything? If you go to kindlepreneur.com, that's Kindle and Entrepreneur, Kindlepreneur, you can find me there and I've got a contact page, click it. And if you've got any questions, send them. 
Sounds good. All right. Well, this has been Dave Chesson. He's uh, an ex-military turned author with no faith whatsoever from his English teachers. And now he's shoving it in her face uh, every day that he puts out a new book. And uh, it's been, been great having you off the floor. So here's the real critical takeaway that I got from interviewing Dave is that there's a point that stars can get to, whether they're authors or actors or CEOs, but it's where their reputation truly precedes them. You know, they've got so much momentum, so much cachet to their name that you're not even sure if it was the performance or just the name that helped them achieve their initial success. But if that celebrity was anonymous, like if you took the momentum away and started them at zero with a disguise on, now you would really know whether the skill was there or if it was just the name that preceded them. But I think there's a lot to that. I mean, how many people work hard, they bootstrap and achieve success only to let the memories of their struggle become nostalgic bar stories? Remember the time when we didn't even have enough money for printer paper? The memory of how they started makes them scared to start something else. But not Dave. See, he's mastered the start because he's reliving it every time. Every time he writes another book, He's starting in the same spot that every new and struggling writer might start at, but he's just utilizing his experience and expertise in the process. He's not betting on his name, he's betting on his skill, even if he has to start at zero. So if he can do that, then I think we should all evaluate the fortress of our comfort zone and start asking ourselves, are these walls here to keep people out or are they keeping me in? I want to thank you for tuning in to another episode of Off the Floor, and I want to thank our guest, Dave Chesson, for his fantastic story. Quick question. Are you enjoying this podcast? Because if you are, please go to iTunes, search Off the Floor, and then hit the subscribe button. Because if you can't tell already, you don't need to be a dancer to be a great listener of this podcast. In fact, this is really about just going outside your comfort zone. And on your journey outside your comfort zone, I want you to think of Off the Floor as your travel companion. 